So, good morning. We are talking this morning about what it means to take refuge and how we take refuge. Today's focus is on taking refuge in the Dhamma in more difficult times, maybe the most difficult times. This hasn't been an easy talk for me to prepare. I had several start false starts, and I remembered hearing advice from one of my teachers that we should give talks on what we have experienced long enough to have gained some depth of understanding from, not on what we are currently in the midst of processing. And I feel I am more in the midst of processing uh, what I'm talking about today. Uh, But last week, this is the topic that came up for me, and I said that that's what I would explore this week, refuge in the most difficult of times. So last week, um, another LDL leader, um, Arv, suggested that when an unpleasant event shows up in our lives, instead of shutting down or pushing the event away, we can look at it in terms of a Nietzsche or impermanence, and we can frame it as change. So change opens things up a little bit because um, there are more possibilities. Um, This will not last forever. What else is emerging besides the thing that we didn't want to happen? I've stressed that at these times, um, we can embrace Uh, the difficulty because of the amount of learning that comes out of facing difficulty and seeing where we're stuck. The the word change came up in um, my breakout group, and I immediately thought of the unpleasant change I had been noticing for myself just the day before. That was aging. I remembered a specific experience uh, photos, some photos came up on my phone of my garden from several years back, and I admired them. Everything was so well maintained, and I recalled how I spent hours in my garden day after day, every spring and summer. And then I thought, I don't think I'm going to be able to work that hard this year. And I don't think I'm going to be able to work that hard the year after that. And it hit me. I'm getting old. It's not going to get better. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as flexible. And I don't have as much energy. And I felt sad. And then I heard in my head the words from the fourth of the five recollections. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. The other four recollections, which the Buddha suggest we practice, are, I am of the nature to age, aging is unavoidable. I am of the nature to get ill, illness is unavoidable. I am of the nature to die, death is unavoidable. The fifth one, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot avoid the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground on which I stand. 
is about karma, and I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not focusing on that in this talk. But the first three and the fourth, I am. In this case, um, they're all about change and loss. And in this case, the loss I was seeing as inevitable, inevitable was the loss of my physical agency, which I saw I was pretty attached to. Of course, we are changing and aging from the beginning of our lives, but we have a lot of ways to find refuge from this fact if we want to, or at least I have. Starting with my favorite, I'll think about that later. I'll look at the ways I'm young. I'll do things to stay young. I'll eat the right food. I'll take supplements. I'll exercise. I'll keep my mind acting active, etc. But this is not taking refuge in the Dhamma, which is the truth of the way things are. And this will not lead to the end of suffering. As Tawiri, our co-guiding teacher, asked in her talk on Monday night, what is a true refuge versus the habitual refuges we think will provide protection, but actually don't? To begin to answer this question, I thought about my own experience and about experiences of others who had shared their experiences with me. And then I looked to the Buddha's teachings stories and to two of the Buddha's major teachings, the Four Noble Truths and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Where do we go for refuge in the most difficult times? When I hear Sangha members share about the Dhamma and the way they practice, I see that we're all individuals and we have different ways of approaching the Dhamma. In the suttas I read somewhere, and uh, more than once, that there are 472 or 842, I forget the actual number, gates to awakening. There are a lot. How do we know which gate to open? Well, if we follow the Buddha's example, we look inside ourselves for the answer. In the suttas, it says that the Buddha tried several gates during the six years of his search for the path to Nibbana. He trained with the most adept yogis, excelling and then surpassing them in the ability to achieve refined states of samadhi concentration. And although he did find refined states of samadhi concentration, he did not find the deathless and he did not find nibbana. So then he joined a group of ascetics and he excelled at the practice, that practice also to such a degree that he was on the verge of dying of starvation. He had tried the two established paths, which were suggested in his time, neither of which provided the peace and liberation he sought. And then he realized he had another choice. He could ask his heart. So on the verge of death, at the end of six years, he said, he asked himself, might there be another way? So one thing this shows is that he had faith that there was another way, even though he had spent six years and failed and tried the most, you know, recommended, recognized ways. 
but he had faith that there must be another way. First asking, might there be another way? And then listening into the silence of his own heart and mind. And I don't know how long it took, but a memory came from his childhood. And in that memory, he was, I don't know, about eight. And uh, he was out in, in the, in the f- farmlands. Um, and there was a festival going on. Uh, and his father was presiding. His father was the head, kind of like a king of the area. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of hustle and bustle and joy because it was the spring planting time and they were starting to turn the soil and they were going to begin the planting. And, um, but he, uh, he withdrew from this hustle and bustle and he took himself into the shade of a rose apple tree where he sat down in the stillness and seclusion and became aware of the body and of the breathing. And at this moment, as the Buddha of, I think, 30, about 36 years old, he recalled how pleasant and peaceful the state of sitting in seclusion was. And he knew just how it felt in his body at that moment, in his memory. And an insight came up to him, answering the question, might there be another way? And the insight was, this is the way. This was the turning point which led to the Buddha's enlightenment under the Bodhi tree and the start of his teaching of the Dhamma the beginning of the turning of the wheel of Dhamma, which is still turning today, as we can attest to. So when we go to his teachings for refuge, when we go to the Dhamma, we can remember his example of turning inward and asking his heart, what is the way? And we can remember his fundamental instruction which comes from this turning point in his own life. And his instruction to us is, I only point the way. You must make the effort to see for yourself if what I say is true. So even when we're really lost, confused, overwhelmed, full of doubt in the most difficult times, we can turn inward and ask ourselves, What is the way for me right now? Because remember, there's so many. They're really, the Dharma offers so much. And we need to listen a while in silence in the period of don't know. In my experience, returning to our practice of seclusion and meditation, relaxing, breathing in and out, observing what comes up, just like we did this morning, and allowing what comes up in kindness to see what the heart's answer is. It's not the only way, but if we can just keep showing up, even when we feel like it's not working, we've lost the knack, 
and be flexible. If sitting doesn't work, we can try walking or listening. I have a friend who meditates through drawing. We can be open to what we sense is right for each of us, what will bring us into presence and into awareness. During one of my very difficult times before I considered myself on a Buddhist path, I was struggling to find a refuge from what was an overwhelming situation for me. I didn't know where to turn, so I went to a bookstore to see what book would fall off the shelf into my hands. It was the year 2000, and the book was When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. I'd never heard of her. But that book was definitely a refuge for me at that time. And out of curiosity, I, I took it off my shelf and looked inside uh, yesterday. And there were underlinings on just about every page. I, I looked at some of them and I thought, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Six years later, I was in another difficult time. And again, I didn't know where to turn. I had a lot of fear about the well-being of someone I cared for deeply, and I felt helpless. I would say that my fear was overwhelming. I was asking myself, what do I need right now? What will help? And I did have the faith to ask that question. I did feel there must be an answer. There must be something that will help. I remember sitting on my sofa with my computer open, Googling different resources in a variety of categories. The one I followed up, up on was, I, I'm getting kind of tearful, surprised me. It was seattleinsight.org, Introduction to Meditation. That's what my heart chose. I didn't consult anyone else. So making the effort to see for ourselves what is true for us by asking what is needed right now is one way of finding refuge in the Dhamma in very difficult times. Another way might be to focus on the teachings of the three characteristics of all conditioned phenomena, which are anicca, anatta, dukkha, that is impermanence, not self, and unsatisfactoriness. Because in very difficult times, it seems like these are the things showing up. And to look there for the solace of the truth. These, uh, in those three characteristics. The phrase solace in the truth, I'm quoting from Suze, who heard this phrase from a visiting Thai forest monk, Ajahn Sidaro. To me, it it's holds up um, for the rest of what I'm going to say. I've already mentioned the five recollections that the Buddha encouraged everyone to contemplate daily. But how do we put loss, truth, and solace together as human beings? This is a challenge for the body, heart, and mind. I felt I needed to look at it and bring it up today. And um, I want to read a poem by Mary Oliver that I associate with this question. And it is called In Blackwater Woods. 
Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, the fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal and hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it, and when the time comes, to let it go, to let it go. We are human and we are not just about preferences and the pleasant and unpleasant. We love and care deeply. We're sensitive and we are vulnerable. We feel our pain and we can feel the pain of others. In the suttas, the Buddha's sensitivity and vulnerability are also shown. When he was 29 and left the beauty, safety, and comfort of his palaces for the first time and saw the three people in the three states, old age, sickness, and death, he recoiled. And then he had the insight that he himself, up to that point, had been in a state of vanity regarding his health and youth. He'd been in a state of ignorance. And he recognized that recoiling at the sight of old age, sickness, and death was unbefitting him. He recognized that he was seeing truth. Recoiling at the truth was not the way. At that point, he made the decision to go forth in search of the deathless Nibbana, while still understanding that on the worldly personal level, he would be subject to old age, illness, and death, and to sorrow as well. Sometimes we forget that the Buddha, even after enlightenment, was subject to many of the painful conditions we're subject to. And here's just one excerpt that kind of illustrates this. Um, once when the Blessed One was living at Savati, he had arisen from the retreat. Um, oh, I wanted to say this is the story of his old age. So he had arisen from the retreat in the evening and was sitting warming his back in the rays of the setting sun. The venerable Ananda went up to him and paid homage while he was rubbing the Blessed One's limbs. And Ananda said, it is wonderful, Lord. It is marvelous. Now the color of the Blessed One's skin is no more clear and bright. All his limbs are flaccid and wrinkled. His body is bent forward, and there seems a change in the sense faculties of his eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and bodily sensation. The Buddha replied, So it is, Ananda. So it is. Youth has to age, health has to sicken, 
life has to die. So the Buddha was subject to the first arrow of suffering that all of us are subject to, but he doesn't add the second arrow of pushing away. He had physical losses and back pain in his final years. He also felt sorrow in the last year of his life over the deaths of his two closest disciples, Sariputta and Moggallana. This is an extract from a sutta describing the Buddha's response to their deaths. Sitting in the open, surrounded by the Sangha of bhikkhus, and surveying the assembly, the Buddha addressed them thus, The assembly seems to me as though it were empty. The assembly is empty for me now that Sariputta and Moggallana have attained Nibbana. There is nowhere one can look to say Sariputta and Moggallana are living there. This is stated pretty simply, but I can detect the Buddha's caring and sense of loss in it. So the first noble truth, there is suffering, impermanence and unsatisfactoriness. All the things we attach to as I, me, mine, we will lose. How is there solace in this truth? Well, in addition to looking inward for the answers our heart can provide, we can look outward to what is greater than our vulnerable, isolated self. There are two stories from the suttas that relate to loss and solace and the solace of truth and the solace of connection. These are the story of Patakara and Kisagotami. The stories are similar. First, Patikara's story. In a single day, Patikara experienced the deaths of her whole family. Her husband was bitten by a poisonous snake. Her newborn child was carried off by a hawk. Her older child drowned in a river. And her brother, mother, and father were killed when their house collapsed. Mad with grief, she tore off her clothes and wandered around in circles. Eventually, she bumped into the Buddha, who said, Sister, recover your presence of mind. At that moment, she recognized that she was naked and was able to explain to the Buddha what had happened to her, and she asked the Buddha to help her. But he told her he couldn't help her. Your tears could fill the four oceans, but no one can be a secure hiding place from suffering. This summary comes from the book called The Hidden Lamp, which is a collection of stories over the last 2,500 years of awakened women. And each story has a reflection um, on the meaning of the story by a current woman teacher from one of the Buddhist traditions. The teacher whose reflection is shared with this story is Anna Douglas, who's a co-founder of Spirit Rock. And in her reflection, Anna says that the Buddha showed Patakara that she was more than a victim of her grief. She still had the possibility of turning to the citta, her heart-mind for truth, for wisdom and compassion. And she did end up becoming a nun. So she still had her presence of mind. She still had her ability to sit, meditate, be aware, turn to her heart, be present, 
In the other story, Kisagatami's toddler son had died, and she refuses to believe he is dead. She carries the child in her arms and will not let go of him. She goes from door to door asking for medicine to cure him. And she's told again and again that the child is dead and that no medicine will cure him. Finally, she is directed to the Buddha, and he tells her that he can revive the child if she will bring him a mustard seed from a household in which no one has died. Kisa Gotami goes door to door with her dead child asking for a mustard seed, and no one refuses her the mustard seed. But when she asks if anyone in the household has died, she finds no home where that is the case. Still carrying her dead son, she returns to the Buddha without a mustard seed. And she tells him that she realizes that death happens to everyone, not just to her little son. She's finally able to go bury her son, let go and bury her son. Christina Feldman, who's co-founder of Gaia House in England, wrote the reflection for this story. And she said, I'm quoting, each of us holds within us a personal story and a universal story. And when the Buddha directed Kisa Gotami to go to each household and ask if there had been a death, I can imagine that she was received with understanding and compassion and that each human connection helped support her in letting go and accepting her son's death. She would still grieve, but she knew she was grieving in the company of many, many, many others. So there's a place to go inward and there's a place to go outward. I'll close with um, a line from a Sri Lankan text on equanimity. Life is a play of joy and sorrow. May I remain unshaken by life's rise and fall. And also uh, this quote, um, it's an excerpt from a longer poem about letting go into something larger to help us hold the truth of the hard things. And this is the excerpt. Everything has its own life. Everything li lives inside us. Life with the, live with the world inside you. It doesn't matter if you draw or write books. It doesn't matter if you saw wood or catch fish. It doesn't matter if you sit at home and stare at the ants on your veranda or the shadows of the trees. I'm gonna look at this one. And the, and the grasses in your garden. It matters that you care. It matters that you feel. It matters that you notice. It matters that life lives through you. Contentment is life living through you. Joy is life living through you. Satisfaction and strength is life living through you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Love, feel, let life take you by the hand. Let life live through you. That's by Roger Keyes. So we'll just take a moment to let the word settle.
And now is a time when we can um, go into breakout rooms if you're, you have the time and the desire. You can just talk about difficult, <laughs> difficult times or things that you feel help you in difficult times, the Dhamma. Okay, it looks like everybody's back, and we have a few minutes if you'd like to share uh, anything that came up in your groups or anything else. Yeah, you can just unmute yourself if you'd like. Oh, Sean and Bruce. Go ahead, Sean and Bruce. You can yeah, unmute. Hi. Um um, Can, we are we are going through extremely difficult times right now, um, and the refuge that I find is that I've been practicing for a long time, and the Dharma, the practice, is is there supporting me. Just inside, it's just, it's, it's there. And it works. And it brings me comfort most of the time. And it, it's, the, it's just there. I don't have to do anything other than be present, which can be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, and when I am, when I turn and face what's going on, and use the, the teachings. It's miraculous. Thank and everybody you. in our group were longtime practitioners, and it's like just that alone was so comforting. And the Sangha, God, thank God you're here, even though your little box is on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing that with everyone, Bruce. I'm sure it means a it lot. Works. Yeah. It actually works <laughs> right now. May not tomorrow, but right now it works. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Lauren, for doing this topic. Yeah, really appreciate you. Um, Focusing your your talk around this topic of aging, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, old age, yeah, needs to be talked about. I mean, yes. I know there's some young people here, yeah, may not relate, <laughs> um, but it's wisdom for your future time because this is this is a really challenging period of life, and without without the the Dharma, I don't know. I have no idea how I would navigate it. So, Yeah, I know. And I was thinking that even when I was young, I had fear of death still. I still had fear of death, fear of illness, for sure. So the fear was there even when, you know, I wasn't necessarily confronting it. So so that... that um, 
because I kept thinking about that too. You know, not everybody probably is really looking at this, but well, the Buddha looked at it when he was 29 and he, and just, just feeling the recoiling, just being aware of that. Anyway, thank you so much, Bruce, for sharing and, and, our hearts are with you and my heart is for sure. <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else's is too. And Lauren, thank you for your vulnerability during that talk. Yeah. You've thank done you. that. You've yeah. helped me with that so many times during your talks. Thank you. <laughs> That's because I, it's very hard for me to get up in front of people and talk. So I always <laughs> show my vulnerability. <laughs> Well, you're no, good at it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, yes, Kelby. Um, as a young person in this group, I um, am also afraid of uh, death and illness, but I, I'm so grateful to like know people who are older than me. Like this group has been so, it's like a bomb because I'm like, I mean, I feel like I'll be 35. Most people my age are not thinking about death. They're not thinking about old age. Like they're not thinking about any of that. And I'm like, I want to get a head start. Like I want to like know people who are older and are experiencing things that like, if I'm lucky, I will also experience because like aging is a gift. Like, so I'm just so grateful for all of you. Um, And yeah, just thanks everyone. Thank you, Shelby. It's Kelby. I do that all the time. I'm so sorry. I was so proud of myself that I checked and I said Kelby. But then I went back to Shelby. Yeah, sorry. Well, you see aging. This is it. <laughs> I want to say somebody in our group asked us, there were four of us, why were we all um, brought to tears in your talk and then in, in sharing. And I think um, for me, part of it was that the, the Dhamma says you got to start by being real. And you were being real and we were all being real. And the beauty and the preciousness of being real is um, it's tenderizing, you know, and it's, um, but it's also, there's a, a kind of bittersweet of that. And, um, and would you maybe put in the, the chat this Roger Keys that mm-hmm. let life live through you? It was so beautiful. And um, anyway, thank you, Laura. Yeah. Thank you, Suze. Okay. So it looks like that's um, about it for sharing a Lyndall. Okay, you need to unmute Linda. I don't have much to say, just a huge thank you, Lauren, for that really beautiful and moving talk. It really touched on some of the, you know, deepest places where we can take refuge. So that was great. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, Claire. Claire, you got to unmute Claire. 
I also want to thank you for that talk, Lauren. It, it just it it just um, touched me so deeply, and our our sharing group was so beautiful and um, deep and loving and oh, difficult, like all yeah. the things that are <laughs> yeah. so yeah. wonderful and helpful. Thank you so much. Oh, I really yeah. appreciate your teaching. Yeah, you're welcome. It was beautiful. It was really real. And I love that. Oh, Thank you. I needed it. I wondered where your voice was coming from, Janelle. <laughs> Janelle, <laughs> hear it. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Janelle. Okay, well, that that's, feels rich. Thank you, everyone, for your sharing and being here. Finally, let's just... Um, Take a moment to offer Meta. And that would be Meta for the well-being, courage, and um, comfort of all beings who are in hard times. And May we continue, may we be so grateful for the Dhamma that we have that will last us through all the ups and downs, make our lives richer, and we are greatly blessed, and may, may all the merit of our practice in front of us, behind us, above, below, to all beings everywhere. Have a nice week, everybody.